It's Monday, December 4th, 2017. I'm Herbie Newell, and this is the Defender Podcast, a daily encouragement to mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This daily podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Well, this is our weekly Monday Bible study, and today we continue our study on the gospel according to Luke as we walk through Luke 4, 14 through 30. And so last week, we looked at the temptation of Jesus as he's led out into the wilderness. And we start with verse 14 of Luke chapter 4, where it says, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And then he came to Nazareth, his hometown, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom... He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 2, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the recovering of sight to the blind, and to set liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down and the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him and he began to say to them today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing and all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth and they said is this not joseph's son the the carpenter's son and he said to them doubtless you will quote to me this proverb physician heal yourself what we have heard you did at capernaum do here in your hometown as well and he said truly i say to you no prophet is acceptable in his hometown but in truth i tell you. There were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. (laughs) And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elijah, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. (laughs) When they heard these things, all the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up, and they drove him out of the town, and they brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. And so, beloved, we see that instantly Jesus, uh, he leaves this temptation and he starts his earthly ministry. He proclaims it in the synagogue of his hometown in Nazareth. And where does he go? He goes to the very familiar passage, a passage that these people would have known. It would have been bound onto their foreheads. It would have been written above the the doorways. This was a a passage they knew. It was a prophetic passage of great hope hope for the people of Israel. This was a messianic passage. Isaiah 61 verses 1 through 2. And he goes immediately there and then says, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He sits down, a sign that it's been completed. You know, the people may have thought that Jesus was just another prophet like John the Baptist for telling the coming of the Messiah. They didn't understand before that that Jesus was the Messiah. And by Jesus coming and quoting this passage out of Isaiah and, and reading from the scroll, he is once and for all saying right there at the offset of his ministry, I am the Messiah to come. I am the fulfillment. He doesn't he doesn't say I bring 
good news to the poor. He says, I proclaim good news to the poor. He is the Messiah that will proclaim salvation. Just like in Genesis, when God spoke the world into existence by his voice, Jesus would heal the blind with his voice. He would heal the leper with his voice. He would give a, a hearing to the deaf through his voice. He would bring salvation and the forgiveness of sin through the proclamation of his word. And John the Baptist would later ask for Jesus. And in Luke chapter seven, verse 20, he would, he would say, send word to Jesus and said, are you the one, are you the Messiah who is to come? Are we still looking for another? And Jesus responds two verses later. And he says, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, leopards are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. In other words, Jesus is telling those in the synagogue that the Messiah has come. He tells John, I fulfill Isaiah 61, 1 through 2. The hope for king, the eternal son of David, the liberator of sin, the savior of the world, the total world ruler, and the one who would bring complete justice and peace had come. Messiah had come. And so Jesus begins by going to his hometown and he announces this. But, but look at what the differences are, the stark difference between Isaiah 61, 1 through 2, and Luke 4, 18 through 19. Luke, uh, the, the second verse of Isaiah 61 continues with, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. But, but in, in, in Jesus's recitation in Luke 4, 18 through 19, he ends with, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He leaves off the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who, who mourn. Obviously, Jesus knew the scriptures. This wasn't like he was having recitation issues. This isn't like when we memorize verses and, and, and we accidentally transpose a couple of words. No, Jesus wrote Isaiah 61, 1 through 2, because Jesus was God. The differences were intentional, right? So what Jesus is, is, is really saying is he's saying, I, I've come to proclaim that, that the kingdom is coming twice. I'm coming once now to proclaim freedom and grace, but then I will come a second time to proclaim judgment. When Isaiah wrote, uh, uh, inspired by God, Isaiah 61, one through two, Isaiah saw it as one full script. Messiah would come and proclaim liberty. Messiah would come and Messiah would judge. Jesus is saying, I have come to proclaim liberty to the captives. I have come to preach good news to the poor. I have come for the year of the Lord's favor. I have come for grace and freedom. There would be a time for judgment, but now was a time for salvation. Jesus said in John chapter 12, verses 47 through 50, if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. The first coming of Jesus Christ ushered in the acceptable year of the Lord's favor for a time of salvation, not judgment. Paul says in 2 Corinthians to the church at Corinth, verses, chapter 6, verses 1 through 2, working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. In the day of salvation, I have helped you. And Paul says to the church at Corinth, behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Beloved, if you're listening to this podcast, you live in a time of great grace and patience. God is with 
holding his judgment and offering such sweet mercy for our rebellious hearts. And so while today is still called today, let us preach the good news of the kingdom of God. Let us make known the kingdom of God. There is great urgency because there is a day of judgment that's coming. It's This is not saying, Jesus is not saying judgment is not coming. No, Jesus is saying judgment is coming, but be saved while today is still today. Come to the kingdom while today is still today. Avoid hell, fire, and separation from, from God. Avoid the wrath of God by oh receiving the sweet grace of Jesus while today is called today. Oh, we need to let this passage from Luke wash over us. There is great hope for the grace of Christ Jesus, the Messiah. Oh, but let this passage also hearken us to the mission to preach the good news of the kingdom of God to those who are perishing. Why? Because judgment will come. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 through 10. It says, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. So at the very beginning of Jesus's ministry is the pronouncement that he is the Messiah and he is ushering in a day of good news for now the day of vengeance has been postponed but it is coming it may not be much longer until the day of vengeance of our god so with urgency we let the gospel resonate in everything that we do. And as a ministry at Lifeline, we want to make sure that we aren't just changing the zip codes of children. We want to make sure we're not just giving them a comfortable cul-de-sac with a, a nice bike for Christmas and a white picket fence, but that we are preaching the gospel because there will be a day of judgment, beloved. And it will not matter where you live. It will not matter what you had. It will not matter who you were. No, what will matter is who you knew and did you know Christ Jesus, the Messiah, and was he your Lord? Let us preach the good news of the kingdom. And that's our mission. That's our mission. You see, Jesus didn't just read Isaiah 61, 1 through 2, because this was a pronouncement of him as the Messiah, but he was also giving us a mission. This was his mission, and it's also the mission of his followers, right? To, to We've been anointed to proclaim good news to the poor. And, and who are the poor, right? The poor, as, as, as pronounced in this verse, are the captives, the blind, and the oppressed. And so Jesus has tasked us to bring this good news to the poor, to bring good news to the captives, to bring good news to the blind, and to bring good news to the oppressed. And so who are these three groups? But before we look at each of these groups and, and, and what I believe we've been called in ministry to the captives, the blind, and the oppressed, let's make sure we avoid two mistakes that could easily be had in ministering to this group of people and fulfilling the mission that Christ is giving us here in Luke chapter 4. First, let us not limit poverty only to the physical. Jesus says in Revelation 3, 17 through 18, for you say, and this could be written to the American church, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from the gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. You see, the arrogant, self-satisfied, overly indulgent, wealthy American is just as utterly poverty-stricken as the and miserable in the eyes of our God as the physically poor are. Let us not, uh, not, not avoid spiritual bankruptcy. Spiritual bankruptcy is the 
biggest, uh, biggest issue we have. It is the biggest poverty issue that we have, spiritual bankruptcy. Zacchaeus, he had amassed the world's riches, right? Luke 19.2 actually says about him, he was a tax collector and he was very rich. However, Zacchaeus surrenders his will to the Lord and Jesus, and says in this refrain, Jesus says about Zacchaeus after the surrender, after he's come to salvation, he says, the son of man has come to seek and save the lost and the poor. Zacchaeus was poor, not because he was missing the world's riches, but because he was missing the salvation of our God, of King Jesus. I was in India several weeks ago and was able to meet with a pastor and his grandmother in a very humble abode in a dangerous and very poor slum in Bangalore. And they were some of the richest people that I met while in India. Why? Because their hope was not set on the riches of this earth, but their hope was set on the kingdom to come. The poverty we are called to alleviate is not just physical, but it's spiritual in nature. And so before we look again at, at who we're called to minister to, the captives, the blind, and the oppressed, let us, not, uh, let us avoid another mistake. The second mistake is ignoring physical and social poverty. So we can sit back and think we're following Jesus when we feel, how, how can we feel like we're following Jesus when we have no compassion and take no action on behalf of people who are materially in poverty, people who are hungry, who are captured unjustly, who are physically afflicted with diseases like blindness, and who are oppressed by human power brokers, right? Isaiah 58.10 tells us, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as noonday. 1 John 3.17-18 says, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him? How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. The truth of the matter, beloved, is we cannot ignore the physical poor and downtrodden around us. We cannot fall into either one of these mistakes, but we must be vigilant vigilant about preaching the gospel to the spiritually bankrupt, as well as showing the gospel to the physically poor. And who are these categories we've been called to minister to? First, the captives. Those who uh, are, are in the captivity of alcoholism or, or drug abuse or pornography or perverse sexuality like homosexuality or gluttony. It ought to grieve us that image bearers of God are held captive by, by foreign powers, slave owners, or evil governments. We must grieve and mourn with those that mourn, but we must also be spurred to action. We must speak truth of the gospel to alcoholics and, and, and those that are trapped by pornography and perverse sexuality and gluttony, those who are trapped by foreign powers. William Wilberforce said this, the, the great slave liberator in England, he said, if to be freely alive to the sufferings of my fellow creatures is to be a fanatic, I am one of the most incurable fanatics ever permitted to be at large. Oh, beloved, we must plead for the captives. But let us also preach and show the gospel so that people can be released from the captivity of sin. Romans 6, But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Let us proclaim good news to the captives. But the second group is the blind, right? Physically, nobody who follows Jesus should be indifferent to disability and disease. Freely, we've received our health, so freely let us care for those who suffer through sickness. There are those in our midst with cancer, with pain, and incurable diseases. There are orphans around the world who need to be adopted, who are blind, deaf, who have Down syndrome, Turner syndrome, or another ailment. Let us advocate for them passionately. We were in India a couple weeks ago, 
And there was a little girl that we visited that was blind in one eye. And the, the orphanage director asked Dr. Rick and I, why would anyone ever want to adopt this little girl? Oh, let us <clears throat> advocate for children around the world who are blind, who are sick, and who are downtrodden. But let us also be vigilant about the healing others from the blindness of unbelief. Right? Second Corinthians, Paul says to the church at Corinth and in, in chapter four, verses four through six, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. Let us proclaim light to the blind, the light of salvation in Christ Jesus, but also we're called to minister to the oppressed. Physically, we show compassion, empathy, and gospel action for those who are powerless and abused. Oh, and there are no more powerless or abused than the orphan, the widow, the stranger, and the alien. We must show gospel hospitality through adoption, through defending the fatherless, through fostering, through visiting the fatherless, through giving provision to the fatherless, and lovingly caring for the fatherless. We care for those that are oppressed, the orphan, the widow, and the vulnerable, the alien, and the stranger. Oh, but we must also be setting people at liberty from the oppression of the devil and the oppression of their sin. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 through 26, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare, from the oppression of the devil, after being captured by him to do his will. We proclaim liberty for the captives from sin. Oh, but as we close, oh, the lovely part of this verse, beloved, is that this gospel, this mission is for the whole world. You see, in verse 22, we would expect dissension. Jesus has just made this great pronouncement. He's, he's, he's given this great messianic passage, Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 2, this this this. this very meaningful passage to those in the synagogue. This little carpenter's son from Nazareth in his own hometown synagogue. You had expected them to go, what in the world? But instead, verse 22 says, they spoke well of him and they marveled at the gracious words that were coming out of his mouth. But what happens? Because then in verse 29, they rise up, they, they drive him out of town, they take him to a cliff and they're about to throw him off. Oh, what happens between thinking he's gracious and ready to kill him? Oh, why does Jesus have to have to bore into them with the story of Zarephath, the Phoenician woman from 1 Kings 17. Why does he have to bore into them with the story of Naaman, a Syrian Babylonian noble, and, and these non-Jewish folks? Oh, this is what Jesus was saying when he gave the illustrations of, of, of non-Jews being healed by God, being noticed by God, being recognized by God. Jesus was saying, the kingdom that I am bringing is ethnically different than what you are thinking. The Jewish people thought that he was coming to be a, a, a king to put Israel on the stage to, to, to once and for all make them the superpower. But he's saying your chosen place is Israel has not produced humility and compassion, but pride and scorn. I am the end of ethnocentrism. Look to me, learn from me, he says. I have come to redeem a people from every people group, from every skin shade, from every tribe, from every tongue, and from every nation. Jesus was telling his Jewish hometown audience, woe to you for your failure to see that the justice and mercy of God is part of his zeal to gather a people from from all peoples, from all nations, from all tribes, and from all tongues. Oh, 
Oh, beloved, oh, when you have time, go to Matthew 8, 5-13. Jesus heals a, a, centur- a centurion's servant. And in verse 11, he says, I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus was telling the Jews in Luke 4 and in Matthew 8, I have come to save the Gentiles. I am a savior for all people. Well, the Jews, again, were, were merely looking for a national leader who would make them into the next superpower. Jesus was making sure that the world knew that the gospel and this Messiah was radically different. He was looking at defining the people of God by whom they served, faithfully following Jesus. This would trump ethnicity. Jesus came to save sinners, no matter their race, origin, ethnicity, or background. He was building a colorful, multi-ethnic kingdom for his glory. And as you look through the four gospels, that's what you see. The good Samaritan, the hero is a non-Jew, Luke 10, 33. The healing of the 10 lepers, only one stayed to say thank you. And it was a Samaritan, a non-Jew, Luke 17, 16. The, the healing of a Syrian woman's daughter from a demon in possession. Mark 7, 26, a non-Jew. In, in Matthew 2, 1, when the wise men come from the east to worship the Savior. These are men from Persia and Arabia, not Jews. The parable of the tenants where the kingdom is said to be taken from the Jews and given to those who would produce fruit by following Jesus. Matthew 21, 33 through 43. Oh, beloved, this is good news for us. This is not a Jewish gospel. This is not an American gospel. This is not a European gospel, but this is a worldwide gospel. And this is why we go into all nations, making the kingdom known. This is why we must care for orphans and widows by manifesting the gospel of this kingdom so that it turn, these children won't just have a new zip code. They will not just be alleviated from physical poverty, but they will come to know the matchless name of Jesus Christ. We defend orphans by speaking and proclaiming the gospel of this kingdom. And so we see in Luke 4, verses 14 through 30, Jesus comes to pronounce that he's a Messiah. He's pronounced to tell us his mission. He's pronounced to give us our mission to the blind, the oppressed, and to the captives. And he has come to say that this gospel is for every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. Make sure today you don't miss that we've also dropped another podcast. This is day four of Advent on the Defender Podcast. So make sure you go to your favorite podcasting and and also listen to day four of Advent. Visit lifelinechild.org backslash Advent for more information about our Advent calendar and our Advent guide at Lifeline. Thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. For more information or to connect with me, visit herbynewell.com. To partner with Lifeline, visit lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel to you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again tomorrow for the Defender Podcast.